Well, good morning. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, Lord God Almighty. Amen. It was just this poetic hope that the people desperately needed to hear the words that Isaiah wrote about the dry-looking stump with a green shoot growing out of it. The Israelites felt hopeless in despair. The words Isaiah wrote told of that despairing and proclaimed that the door that opened up to future hope was not completely closed. There may yet be some gate of hope that the people could get through. Because when hope is completely gone, there would be no life. 3,000 citizens of Jerusalem, including the king, the queen mother, the city's leading officials, had all been deported as captives to Babylon. Turmoil continued, and 11 years later, the land of Judah took the final blow, and Jerusalem was captured and destroyed after suffering unspeakable hardship at the hands of the Babylonian army. And it was late in the life and ministry of the old prophet, Isaiah searched the horizon for some sign of the coming Messiah. Patiently and sometimes not so patiently, the prophet waited for a divine occurrence that would change the world and change his life. He watched with deep longing for hints of future hope. But the years of waiting grew long and the prophet grew old. Yet he continued to watch and wait and in lavish poetry wrote of the time when hope would be restored, when wars would be no more and when the unblemished age would begin. And he spoke of a world of righteousness and he declared that the people must never give up hope. And somehow Isaiah never quit speaking of the coming Messiah. He never gave up. And the prophet fully expected the coming of the Messiah to occur in his own day. He could, how could he have known that the fulfillment of the glorious and hopeful future that he longed to see would delay for another 700 years. Many people live in utter hopelessness. For multitudes of people, people that you and I see every day, hope is lost. And when one is left without any hope at all, that person is left standing helplessly in a pile of dead dreams. This is not a very glorious Advent picture. No angels promising any miracle happenings. No brilliant star in the night sky lighting a path to a place of promise. 
no divine new birth that wondrously shatters the natural order of things, no fresh renewal of hope in hearts that have endured a year's worth of disappointment. Sometimes there is much more disappointment in our hearts than hope. You probably don't expect to see a single angel messenger of God this Advent season. Nor have the astronomers noticed any sort of unusually bright star in the darkness. As far as I can see, the hopelessness of the people I know has not been shattered by a fresh renewal of hope. Not anyway. Not yet. But this is Advent. This is the season when hope can rise within us as fresh as the dawn. This is the season for shouting, don't give up hope yet. This is, there's more to this situation than meets the eye. If we seek anything from Advent, anything other than crowded shops and full car parks and harried shoppers, if we're searching through Advent for anything at all, we are counting on the fact that hope really can flood our spirits and fill our hearts and drench our souls. Unfortunately, hope doesn't just kick in all by itself and demolish all our trouble and make us instantly feel better. Holy and divine hope labours and moves and strives within us. Holy and divine hope comes as a gift from God and it enters our despairing places and weaves together the broken pieces of our lives in new and unexpected ways. And hope sees what we can't readily see. And most of all, hope learns and discerns every despairing moment of our past and unyieldingly refuses to let us view that past as a complete loss. Think for a moment about what attacks your hope. Illness, family turmoil, grief, Rejection. This time of year can be a season of depression. Right in the middle of the hype that touts Christmas as the happiest time of the year, millions of people dwell in their own reality that contrasts Christmas feasting with poverty and hunger or lavish Christmas gifts with not enough money to buy any gifts at all. How stark a contrast between a family feast filled with love and scenes that are so opposite. A family table with an empty chair that screams of a painful absence. A family celebration sparked with family strife. This season can be not at all the happiest time of the year. 
Perhaps that's why Isaiah is such a credible and expressive prophet of Advent's hope. Because he never saw the realization of the, that hope in his own lifetime. He knew the anguish of unfilled expectations. He knew, like we know, the agony of waiting in hopelessness and helplessness. Just as John the Baptist knew. When we hear John's impassioned words during Advent, we, we hear the cries of another prophet with unfulfilled expectations Matthew 3 a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him John died without knowing whether Jesus would bring his prophecies to fulfillment he died not knowing if his hopes were realized so what are we hoping for right now? Maybe you're hoping for healing or a cure. The reopening of a business, getting to see people you love, a job that feels just out of reach right now. It's natural for our hopes to turn to the things we want to take place in our real life right now. In recent years, there are all kinds of things we hope will be different by now. It's not hard to think of ways we hope for life to improve. It's been a rough time. But the idea of hope in the Bible is a little bit different than where our minds tend to drift at the word hope. Biblical hope is hoping for, isn't better, hoping for better circumstances. It's, it's waiting for God himself to, to show up right in the middle of all that stuff. It's the tension of living through hard times while holding on to the expectation that God can somehow come into it. Biblical hope doesn't mean we gloss over what's wrong. As a matter of fact, real hope insists we recognize that the odds say we probably shouldn't have much hope at all. But God, when he shows up on the scene, there's no telling. Philip Yancey uses the term future faith. A future faith can alter the present. At the very least, by allowing us to suspend judgment on God, a person without future faith logically assumes that the suffering and chaos of the planet reflects something of God. And therefore, God can't be either all good or all powerful. But future faith allows us to believe that God is not satisfied with this world either and plans to restore the universe to its original design so that we can believe in a future time when God will reign with perfect justice. And we need to be reminded of God's promise of that every day. For Christians, hope is a future certainty grounded 
in a present reality. And that present reality is the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness is marked out by major promises he kept. Israel's release from bondage in Egypt. Joshua leading the people into the promised land. But the promise that towers over all others is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here, all the promises of God find their fulfillment. Here, the fulfillment of God's promises overflow into Jew and Gentile alike, out onto all those whose faith quickened seeing acknowledges the presence and power and purpose of God in Jesus of Nazareth. God had promised to renew the entire creation in Christ, liberating the creation from its bondage to the devil. And God's raising his son from the dead is a decisive moment in this promised liberation. So, this is all really nice, but how does it flow into my everyday life here in beautiful Hobart? Louis Giglio points out that, like it or not, we all get to the place where life hurts most. And when we do, we find that there are no simple answers, even maybe especially for someone calling themselves a Christian. In John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God is bigger, has a plan, and is always at work. When the bottom drops out of your life, where do you turn to? To the cross of Christ. The cross is the centerpiece, the core, the everything of Christianity. For Christ's death and resurrection to represent the culmination, the omega of his mission here on earth, then there needs to be an alpha, a beginning, a starting point. And that is what we are hoping for, celebrating, clinging to during this Advent season. When we read the Christmas story, starting with an encounter between a teenage girl and a, an angel messenger from God, what do we learn? God is here and has a plan. The impossible is possible. Your hope in this plan is that God himself will show up. And your job? To be a servant of God who says yes. This first candle represents a living hope. Because a living hope begins with a little child in a manger. 
a vulnerable, helpless little baby, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born to Mary and Joseph. And it's here that hope began and hope begins to grow. This small child grew in stature and wisdom and hope grew. He amazed others with his teachings and hope grew. He performed miraculous signs and wonders and hope grew. He gathered the broken and lost and hope grew. He suffered and sacrificed himself upon a cross and hope grew. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, appeared before the disciples and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and hope grew eternal. And one day... He will come again to bring about God's kingdom on earth. This is our living hope. The hope that the birth of Jesus brings doesn't require you to see any light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't require you to imagine a real situation where things could possibly improve. The kind of hope we celebrate in Advent is about the arrival of Jesus into the world and how he can arrive into anything in your life at any moment as well. We wait in hope for the plans of God to be fulfilled through him. At the first Christmas when Jesus was born, Israel was waiting for a king, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, who would change their circumstances, make them a great nation and throw off the tyranny of Rome. They were waiting for a person, but what they really hoped for was a change of circumstance. So most of them missed him, disbelieved him, eventually killed him. Because their hope was in the wrong place. Christians don't just hope for the best or for things to change. We celebrate the hope of the risen Christ. Through Christ, our hope is that God sees a purpose in every circumstance. So... Let's ask ourselves this first week of Advent. Do we want God's plan or our own? Is our hope really in him? Or is it simply in the change of circumstances? Are we willing to listen and say yes, even if where he's leading feels impossible? If our hope's really only in better circumstances, then we will forever be in search of it. And we could even miss God right in the middle of it. What if in celebration of Christmas, we were willing to consider a shift? What if we threw away our wishful thinking, our wishy-washy hopes, and replace them with a kind of hope that puts hope 
back on him? What if our hope was fully pinned on the arrival of Jesus? In Lamentation 3.24, we, we hear, read, we sing, The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Now, you and I probably can't shout exuberant words of hope from the rooftops and promise everyone that hears us that their fondest hopes are all going to be fulfilled. This Advent season, we'll still find the homeless shivering in the cold and children struggling to survive family violence and people coping with profound loss. In this world, it's difficult to shout words of hope. But we have been chosen and anointed to proclaim God's astounding hope to a humanity in despair. You and I have been chosen to pray and to never lose hope. We've been anointed to proclaim God's astounding hope to a world bowed down in sadness, to every person who says, I feel hopeless, I've given up hope. When hope is lost, the picture of a lifeless stump describes the human soul and the human heart. But Isaiah doesn't let it go at that. The prophet describes a stump that remains and survives after the tree has been cut down. And the stump looks dry and barren above the ground, but in due time it will produce the miracle of a sprout and the bark will show a hint of green and the glossy leaves will begin to grow out of the stump that seemed completely dead. Despite life's contradictions, we are to join prophets and apostles in announcing that day above all days when the world's wretched neither hunger nor thirst anymore, when nation no longer lifts up sword against nation, when God wipes every tear from every eye. And so we can all proclaim that we may be injured, but we're not destroyed. The life that seems barren and without hope holds an internal miracle. We declare on this Advent Sunday of hope, just when our hope seems all used up, that there is a wonder and a mystery within us that promises a renewed sense of life in our despairing spirits. One practical way in which we apply our hope in the world is expressed through our vision of the future. Isaiah had a clear vision of that kind of miraculous but hidden hope. He had a clear vision of the hope that Israel so desperately needed. He had a clear vision of the Messiah who would bring promise to their desolation. And he wrote with a 
trumpet peal of faith and hope that a shoot would emerge from the stump of Jesse and a righteous branch would grow from his roots. Recently, we read in Psalm 33, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, and in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Matt said, if God is our security... We can do crazy things like love our enemies, be generous with our money, and have a sense of peace when life throws curveballs. Hope is God's gift and God's command. And without such hope, Christian faith collapses. In a short while, we'll be meeting together to try and capture a common vision for the continued building of God's kingdom in this place. What's your vision for the future of Citywide? Do you think that a thriving, spirit-filled, vibrant and effective church is going to fall out of the sky? Or be just waiting for us when we open the doors next Sunday. The American historian Stephen Ambrose said, the past is a source of knowledge and the future is a source of hope. And love of the past implies faith in the future. Building on our past witness in this place we must energize our hope-filled vision with faith and hard work. So, as we spend time today preparing our vision for this community of believers, for the immediate future in this place, with all its opportunities, confusion, contradictions, risks and challenges, Let's ensure that we do indeed, like Isaiah, proclaim from the depths of our spirits that trumpet peal of faith and hope that the world so desperately needs to hear. Let's pray. Let's pray in silence that we are anchored in Christ. Almighty God, give us such a vision of your purpose and such an assurance of your love and power that we may ever hold fast to our hope which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord.
who is alive with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.